I'm starting. <laughs> Done a bit more, but we're good. All right. So v'zocher chaste avos. I did before we before we start that, which is really our topic. I wanted to um, to add one last point to what we said last week about the v'kone hakol, which we I mean not only last week, but. Right, where each of the, we went through this long maharal, and there were all these different aspects to it, but ultimately it was the, the investing of oneself, uh, the commitment to investing effort, care, time, money into acquiring, the uniqueness, the value of that, which is the sort of blending of identities, the dedication of something which is racious, fully to Hashem, recognizing that everything is His, and therefore selecting off a piece that is only for Him, not for us to use at all, and in this way sanctifying the whole, um, the lifting up, that's the hisromimus, or the turuma, harimosi yodi of it. Um, as Rav Hirsch puts it on the words, malaha aritz kinyanecha, the earth is filled with your kinyon. Each of thy works attests to thy wisdom, of which it is a product, which is sort of the short form of what Rav Leff said about manifesting God, God's name in the world, the five kinyonim. That the world is filled with, with that which manifests God's chachma. Um, and it, it did occur to me afterward um, that each of those five things has occurred to me only because I was thinking about the Parsha the last two weeks. So when you learn about Truma, and we saw that, and we mentioned actually, um, we mentioned last week, last Shabbos, that um, the Mishkan is a new Brias Ha'olam, right? That the, that the links look like stars, and that the Maharal says this is a new Brias Ha'olam, and in fact, a higher level Briyas HaOlam, because with the Mishkan you have Ahibayom Hashmini. You have up to an eighth day, which is a Lamalam in Hateva. Whereas in the creation of the world, which is of course the creation of nature, that's what it is, that goes up to a seventh day of creation. And, and here with the Mishkan you get even up to an eighth day of its creation. So in some ways it even is a higher level of creation. And somehow those pieces fell into place thinking about the davening shear. Um, you know, it seems like two separate subjects a little bit, but but actually one of the things that we come up with is Ela told us Shamaim which is Avraham. And then I was this is just, you know, kind of explain like these little pieces that fell into place. Uh, that you know, Hashem like kind of lines things up sometimes, and then moves your head to a different angle so that you see them in a different light, or they frame each other differently. Um, and I was listening to a shear, and Rabbi Berkowitz was talking about how Hashem, in cre- in in taking Avraham and making a covenant with him, that this was a creation of a whole new kind of person. Right? He said. He lifted him up over the mazalos. He took him out beyond the physical and beyond all the powers, even the what we'd call the spiritual powers of the physical. <coughs> um, and of course, this is part of the create. This is another creation of the world, the creation of Avraham, out of Avram, 
right? Bihibaram, and that hay is small, right? It sort of is there, it sort of isn't there. And now that it's in there, now you have an Avraham. This is a whole new creation. This is a new kind of person. This is a Jewish person. And this is the creation itself reaching a new kind of fulfillment. Ela told us when they were created. And when they were created is Avraham, with Avraham. There was an aspect that wasn't really created yet because Avraham wasn't there yet to be calling out the name of God into the world. That's that whole Kenyan that we've been talking about. And so it's suddenly, like, all of that kind of lined up in a new way in front of me and made me realize there is a Brias Ha'olam for each of those five Kenyanim. That when the Rishonim say that a Kenyan, when, when, if the Torah describes Hashem as Kone, it's the same as saying Ose, he made it. Maasebereshis, the making of creation, of the beginning. That's really all of these. There's a Brias Ha'olam of Shamaim Va'aretz. Well, yes, that's Brashis Va'arelokim, Esa Shamaim Va'aretz. We know about that. That's the one we know as Brashis, as the creation. But there's a Brias Ha'olam of Avraham, out of Avram. There's a Brias Ha'olam of Matan Torah. Torah is one of them. That's, that's a serious Brias Ha'olam. Okay, there's a Brias Ha'olam in building the Mishkan, right? One of them is the Mikdash, Beis Mikdash. There's a Brias Ha'olam of the Jewish people being born, a nation from within a nation. God says, has anything like this ever been done before? That I should give birth to one nation from the midst of another nation? Carry us out. And all of these are supernatural. They absolutely push aside anything you thought was a rule of nature to say there is a God and he created this world and he cares about it and is active in it. So each one of these kinyonim is really another way of saying is a bria. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's not really a chiddush because that is what Rashi said. Saying Hashem is konehako means he is osehako. That's really what it means. That these are God's kinyonim. These are the places where he has stepped in and made a bria saolam, a new and supernatural creation in the world that is a whole new world being created. And in doing so, this new creation announces by its very existence and in the process of its existence, how it exists. It shouts out, there is a God who created this universe, who created me, who cares about it and is active in it. So I just felt I had to sort of bring that out again because mm -hmm. it did really pull it all together in a new way. And, and yet it is really what we said all along. <laughs> I needed it anyway. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Somehow this was a huge bombshell of a new thought, and yet it was not a new thought. It was the same old thoughts again. But, but I don't know. But not. <laughs> yeah. A, a, another candle, you know, next to like all that other light. Okay. Vizocher chaste avos. Hashem zocher. So we, we've talked about zecher before. Have we talked about it in the davening share? We must have. So I don't think we're going to do that now. I feel bad because now I can't remember. I'm hoping I didn't. I'm not like neglecting it. 
and we've only done it in Davening Shir, <laughs> I mean in Parsha Shir, right? So Zechira, in, in English we usually say that's memory, right? Zocher would be he remembers, um, which has no meaning in terms of God, as any other anthropomorphic description of God it can't really literally have an application. It means that it's being described using words that we're accustomed to and experiences that we're accustomed to to give us an idea of how to relate to what's going on. So what does it mean to us if we have zocher, if we remember something? It means that there's something that is in our mind already. It exists there from before. Oh, I know, we talked about it with Purim. Because we talked about it with the night and the dark, night and the day and the moon and the sun. That the role of the moon is a role of zechira. <coughs> um, we take something that is already there in our minds and bring it into the active, conscious part of our mind, where it is the forefront and the center of what we're thinking about. Um, Zocher is active. It is an influencing and a going out. It's related to the word zachar, male. Um, Rabbi Tatz has all kinds of mind-blowing things on it that I don't seem to be able to absorb very well. About zachar and the relationship, the difference between to remember and to forget and gematria and... It's all very interesting and complicated. I don't understand it. Um, but Zohar is active. We see with, with Geula, there is a phase of Zahira and a phase of Pekida. We've mentioned that in the past. Ramchal discusses it in the Maimar HaGeula. Um, Zahira seems to be the step before it becomes actuated, and Pekida is an actual initiation of the process, right? So pakod pakaditi are the words that Moshe came with that were the, the secret code that this is actually the one God has sent. Mm-hmm. It was a pakod pakaditi. Um, but first came vayizkor elokim, that God remembered. He remembered his covenant with the forefathers. So zechira is active, but zechira, the importance of zechira is, is especially in that it leads to action, it leads to something physical happening. So in the Zahira stage, it is not yet perhaps physically manifested. And with Pekida, it would start to, you'd start to see that it's actually so. So you can see that there's already a hint of a flow here. God remembers the chesed of the avos, first is the Zahira, and then umevi goel, he brings a redeemer. He brings a savior to their children's children. Right here already, you have the story of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim in just those few phrases. Okay, that's not, Laman Shemo Ba'ahava, for the sake of his name with love, which we'll talk about a bit more as we talk about this, these words. This is Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. That's relevant for us now because we're in Adar Aleph, so at the very least, we're starting to realize that Pesach is coming around the corner. We're also in Shemos, we're not so far out of Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. We're not so far from going back into Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim. Um, to realize that there was a process of Zocher Chasteyavos, and then maybe go Alivnei Venehem, Laman Shemo Be'ahava. And as we've indicated before, the, the Ark of Shemona Esrei is a description of Geula. It's a description of everything coming into the perfection that God desires for it, into his fullest Ratzon for it. It is what we want and we need, 
but it's what he wants and he, he desires to give to us. Mm-hmm. It is a perfected world that we are about to seek and desire and attribute to God desiring to give. That is the geula. So we're, the fact that we're introducing it here in the opening bracha is no longer odd. It's not just that, yes, any time is a good time to ask for geula, so why not? Okay, it's that what we're doing is introducing the entire, we're opening the whole Ark of Shemona Esri here in the first bracha. Hashem is Elokeinu Velokeavoseinu. I heard Rav Berkowitz said this in such an amazing way. You know, we didn't stop and talk about Elokeinu. I was lazy, maybe. But the way he reiterated it here for Shemona Esri, Elokim is Lashon of Din. Din is, well, we learned, that, we learned this way back when, right? Elohim is associated with din, is associated with teva, with nature, right? Mi bara ele, and mi and ele spells Elohim, right? God says, look at the world, look at all this nature, and see who created all these. Elohim bara, Hashem created all these, right? But it's the laws of nature. You throw an egg off the roof, it will land at the bottom and break, Right? Does that mean, of course, God could do it differently. But what's nature? Nature is din. Actions have reactions. For every action, there is a reaction. And that's also true physically and spiritually. For every action, there's a reaction. And everything we do matters. And that's din. By the way, din is oftentimes the greatest chesed. (laughs) But that's din. Okay. Elokeinu is the recognition that everything that happens in the world is fair, may not be understandable to us if we don't have the whole picture yet, and that everything we do matters, and that everything that we do that is good will have good that comes back from it. And Hashem's Elokeinu is a declaration that this is positive. This is praise that Hashem is my God. I'm singing and rejoicing about that. There's nowhere I'd rather be than directly in God's hand, even though sometimes he's going to squeeze me tight because I'm running off too far. But I would still rather not be anywhere else. He's Elokeinu. He's my God. He's Elokai. He's a God of justice, but that's really where I want to be, is with him. Okay, and then we come down to, this is Hakel Hagadol Hagibor Vehanora, Kel Elyon Gomel Chasodim Tovim, Vekone Hakol Vezocher Chaste Avos Umevigoel Levnevenehem Lamanshmo Beava. This is the introduction to the whole Shmona Esrei to the peak of life, to the peak of our day, to the peak of our spiritual closeness to God is that God remembers the chesed of the avos. He remembers our forefathers and he brings to their children a savior. And all of this is to the glory of his name and it is with love. That's, when you look back, that's the story of Yitzhak Mitzrayim, which means that is the story of the final geula because that's the model. The model for the final geula is the first geula. And that's why it sounds so familiar, not because it's talking about Yitzhak Mitzrayim. It's not. This bracha is not talking about leaving Egypt. 
This bracha is talking about, I was going to say the future redemption, except it's in present tense. It's the, the present redemption. The present redemption that is already in process. That's what it's talking about. And if it sounds familiar, it's because it's expressed in terms we recognize from a previous existence and a previous experience. So it's familiar to us because we have been there, but it is talking about the present day. It's not just hinting to it. Okay. Zohar Chasdeavos. So what does that mean then? What what chased of the forefathers? The Avos are Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov, and they're the, you know, very involved in this bracha. What chesed? I may have to look something up here. I think I am going to look it up another time. Okay, I'll look them up and, and do them properly. Okay. What's the chesed? So here's how Rav Schwab, Rav Schwab says chesed means here the zechus Avos. The merit of the forefathers. That the, the forefathers have a zechus, and Hashem brings that forward to remember, so to speak, and to bring us redemption. When we get bracha as their beneficiaries, as he puts it. Um, I, I was a little bit unsettled with that. Not because I have an issue about Zechus Avos, but then why not say Zechus Avos? Why say Chaste Avos? So, one answer is, that's what it's referring to. Meaning, it's not so much remembering what they did, as like what they did and therefore deserve, and so this is being paid to them. Because um, it seems like it's saying something more specific. Now, one thing is that there are other places, including in Daniel's tefillah, which is what I just saw now. I don't think I have, oh, well, maybe. Actually, I have a Daniel right here. But I didn't prepare this, so we can explore it together. Um, no, this appears to be only up seven. Wait a minute. That's Eov. Here's Daniel. Okay. Most of Daniel, I think, is in Aramaic, but not this one, not this piece, um, which is lucky. <laughs> okay. It's more than lucky, because he's davening to God, so. Okay. Um, Tess, okay. I, like I said, I have not prepared this. I didn't look to see what the words, nothing. In the first year of Daryavesh, the son of Ahasuerus, from the seat of Madai, who was the king over the Kazdim, Machus Kazdim, in the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, I don't even know, Binosi Basfarim, who contemplates Sfarim, I don't know, Mispar Hashanim Asher Hayadivar Hashem, El Yirmiyah Hanavi Lamalos Lacharvos Yerushalayim Shivim Shana. And it, I guess he's saying this is after 70 years had passed, it seemed, or calculating 70 I don't know. I didn't prepare it. He's calculating the years that Hashem had told Yirmiyah Hanavi that it would be 70 years that the, the base HaMikdash should be destroyed. And I turned my, I gave my face toward God, the Lord, to request tefillah and pleading. But v'sak with fasting, with sackcloth, and with ashes. 
and I prayed to God, my Lord, and I acknowledged or confessed, or, or it could be it's a vidui if he's fasting, and I said, please, Hashem, Okay, this is apparently where he skipped the gibor. Remember that Daniel came and he said, where's your gavura now? And so he dropped gibor. Right, we, this is where it was, apparently. Shomer habris vehachesed Who guards the bris and the chesed. Now, it's, it's very, very, I don't think it's accidental that this is in this Pasuk, which is part of Shmona Esrei. I mean, I, I think this is intentional. Okay. And we, okay, Rav, Rav Schwab didn't use these words, but when he's saying that Hashem is remembering Zechusavos, so the way that is termed back in Mitzrayim is the bris. So the Maharal will say this when we get to it. Um, he'll, he'll show, actually it's based on the Gemara, which is a Gemara we actually came across before at the end of Shema. Um, instead of saying that Hashem remembers the Chesed, what it says, Hashem remembers his bris. So that even if the merit of the forefathers might not extend so far, there's a promise, and he'll keep his word anyway, even if we don't deserve it, so to speak. That's interesting that in Daniel, he puts it together, the bris and the chesed. That would at least be a place where you could draw them into parallel, because otherwise I don't really see how you draw that into parallel. Nonetheless, it's not full on its own to just say that it's the bris. But I share with you what Rav Schwab said. That it, and he brings a goel to their children. This means us. This is expressed in the present tense. When we say... Hashem brings a redeemer to their children's children, we should be aware that we are talking about ourselves. God brings us a goel. He is bringing now. It's an ongoing process, and it culminates with B'as HaMashiach, and we ourselves experience at least some of it, we hope a lot of it. For his own sake out of love, Hashem is called Goel Yisrael because he promised that he would redeem us. Therefore, this redemption will come even if we don't deserve it, purely out of the love he has for the Jewish people. So Rav Schwab is saying, for the sake of his name, meaning his name, God is Goel Yisrael, God who redeems Israel. Now, this is a reassuring thought. It could be terrifying. What do you mean? If we don't deserve it, we are so in trouble. That's true. On the other hand, there are moments in life when we realize we don't deserve it. And that can, that can make a person truly despair. But if you realize, I may not deserve it, but God's going to do it anyway. He promised he would. That means I can rely on him regardless. And then I don't despair. And from there, I have the strength to build and to do and to deserve something too. Mm -hmm. But not because it's going to make me deserve or earn anything just because I want to do for God. And I have the strength to do that because I know that no matter what happens, I can still rely on him. It's, it's a little bit like what we talked about a long time ago, like a year and a half ago, with Elokai Neshama Shenosata Bitahorahi, being able to rely on the fact that Hashem gave me a pure soul 
And when he looks at me, he sees, in addition to everything else, he sees there is a soul that is absolutely pure and is a reflection and uh, a manifestation of him into the world. And that's something I can always rely on and always know is there. And because of that, I know that I can always rely on his love, regardless of everything else. And that gives me strength. It gives me a cushion. It's, it's not a feeling of entitlement. It's the opposite. It's a recognition that I'm maybe not entitled. But nonetheless, I have something to lean on. And from there, I have the strength. I have somewhere to push my feet and stand up and get, out, get up from the bottom. Okay, so the Gemara states, and we're going to circle back to this more than once because I want to sort of follow his approach through and then build over that or upon it or with it or whatever. So the Gemara states, this is Shabbos Nun Nunhe Amud Aleph. I have a copy here too. Zuchos um, has limits. Tama Zuchos There's such a thing as, as a, an end to Zuchos which is also a terrifying thought, and it's one of these Gemaras that I always assiduously ignore when I go by, because I have no idea, you know, have not sat in any Gemara share with one of my Rebbe's to find out, like, how they approach this. And therefore, right, not because we just ignore everything we don't like, but because I have no tools with which to pick this up and begin to look at it and try and think about it. So I wait and hope that I will be offered some sort of tools along the way, and then I'll be ready to come and take a look at it. Right? It's a, I should like say it's not that I'm putting my head in the ground, right? Like they say they say ostriches do. Right? Not not to hide, you know, cognitive dissonance. Oh, it doesn't agree with what I think, therefore I shall pretend it doesn't exist. No, that's not what I mean when I say I ignore it. What I mean is I could be patient. I could wait until such time as it is brought to me together with some sort of explanation so that I can understand what it means, right? We don't even have an art scroll copy of Gemara Shabbos here. Like, I don't even have that much to work with, okay? Zuchus Avos has limits. The benefits to us of the Maisim Tovim of the forefathers may have been exhausted. Okay, now, you can hear right away in that statement that that it cannot be a universal statement simply by the fact that we exist at all, right. simply by the fact that God made promises to the forefathers that are eternal and that he keeps, and that we saw even in Egypt, right? The Jewish people were more or less indistinguishable from Egyptians. God wasn't kidding when he said he gave birth to one nation out of another nation. If you, you know, were flying from above, right, the, the Martian coming from another planet would not have looked down and said there are two different kinds of people here. They'd have to look very closely to see the difference. Wasn't a big one. And yet, God remembered the covenant with the forefathers. So you might say, okay, well, because Chosavos went that far and it doesn't come this far. But you hear right away just the fact that, that Jews exist, that there's a Torah. that there, I mean, these are things that... So it's clear that there are still repercussions from the lives of the Avos that are still impacting our lives today. We, it's difficult to say, how did anybody ask the question, is there still Zuchus Avos? Because we live Zuchus Avos. That's our whole life is Zuchus Avos. So what is the question? I mean, the question is really harder than the answer. Just the fact that anyone asked such a question. Okay, so it turns out, and the Maharal explains it, and he shows it's the context of the Gemar. The question over there is, how is it possible that the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed? That's the question, actually. The problem is it gets picked up, you know, it's just, just the snippet out of the Gemara. The question over there is, how did it come to be that the Beis HaMikdash was destroyed? Mm -hmm. 
And the question is, is it possible that the merit of the forefathers, which prevented the destruction of the Beis HaMikdash, even though the people deserved Golos, the Beis HaMikdash wasn't destroyed and the people were not sent into Golos for a very long time. If you read Sefer Malachim, it's incredible. It, you, you, you really, by the time they get to the Golos, first of all, you've seen it coming for hundreds of years. But not only that, you wonder, are they any worse now than they were a hundred years before? Not really. So why not then? That's what the Gemara is questioning. What took so long? Perhaps there was a merit of the forefathers that was extending forward so far into the future that the temple couldn't be destroyed. The Jewish people could not be ejected out of the land of Israel simply because of a merit of the forefathers. And it seems that that is the case. The Maharal makes a very logical and, and, uh, and convincing case for the fact that that is what the Gemara is discussing and that nobody is considering whether or not, you know, is there still an influence of the actions of our forefathers on our lives today? That's so obvious that there is, that there's nothing to talk about. And the Gemara takes that for granted in many places. How can you tell a Jewish person, Jewish people, the ch- not Jewish person, children of Avram Avinu, Children of Avram Avinu are Rahmanim, Baishanim, and Gomli Chasadim. Okay, so there are still qualities belonging to the forefathers that are expressed genetically into our emotional makeup now. So nobody is questioning whether there is still an influence of the forefathers on our lives now, whether it's the influence of their actions in terms of some kind of, of reward or treatment or promise or genetic so to speak, I'm not talking about actual genes, although it could be also that, right? But, but some sort of a, a spiritual makeup that is passed along to their children. Nobody's questioning that. That's clear. The question that they're asking is something different, and I found that reassuring. So that's why I have now violated what I said, which is I'm just going to follow Rav Schwab, and I jumped ahead and already like cheated and told you what I was going to bring out from the Maharal because like by itself you can just take it in such a way that really the question is is far more disturbing than what the answer could be. So you have to realize what the question really was. All right. So the Gemara states that this thing of Zechusavos has limits. Nevertheless, Hakadosh Baruch Hu will bring the Geula for His own sake out of His love for the Jewish people. And the Tosfos over there says. Zechus avos may end in some area of effect, but bris avos continues forever. And this is Laman Shemo Ba'ahava. I think it's interesting that Zaniel mentions the bris and the chesed. So that will be a, an interesting place for further research, hopefully for next week in Ritzashem. And then, and I'm going to jump, I, I I'm going to finish because I want to pull together this piece of Rav Schwab he goes on with this into Melech Ozer Umoshia Umagain. Hashem is the king. He assists us. He's our helper, which makes it sound so condescending because the way we use helper now is like to children. Oh, you're such a good helper, right? <laughs> the Ozer, the one we need to rely upon because there's nothing we can do independently without help. Nothing. Hashem is the one who provides that help, umoshia, and he saves us. That's like the word Yeshua, saving. Umagain, and he defends us. He's a shield. 
Meanwhile, before the actual coming of Mashiach, in the absence of Zechus Avos, we recognize that it is only due to the love of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, who as our king helps, saves, and protects us. And this is the first use of the word Melech in Shemona Esrei, where we had the missing Malchus. <laughs> we recognize HaKadosh Baruch Hu as the Melech, who is our Redeemer. Then we recognize him as Ozer, that he helps us, which means... When we make an effort to make ourselves worthy of Geula, he helps us in the effort. Which is a little bit what we were talking about before, that idea of knowing that you can rely on somebody no matter what, that you can rely on Hashem specifically no matter what, and his love no matter what. That when you realize he is there and he, he will redeem us regardless, that gives us strength to be able to make an effort. If we thought we had to do it by earning it, we would never be able to begin. If we thought that we would have to be redeemed through our own actions, forget it. It's too hard. It's out of the question. It's beyond. There's no way we could achieve such a thing. And I'm going to go farther and suggest that if we thought we would be redeemed because of the merit of our forefathers, we also wouldn't bother because we would assume it's automatic and it's coming to us. Because, hey, look what my parents did. I'm good. Like protexia, right? I have, I have an in. Okay, that would also cause us to not have the strength to be able to do what we need to do. What gives us the strength to do what we need to do is laman shemo ba'ahava. Hashem loves us. He'll be there for us. He'll help us. If I know that, then I want to do. I want to do something. I want to try and be worthy of it. Knowing that I can't achieve that, I wish I could try to be worthy of it. And I will try. And I know that he will help. Why will he help? Because I deserve it? No. Because I come from a wonderful family? No. He will do it because he loves us. And he promised to. So he will. And that is more reassuring than anything. That is a foundation under my feet that I can stand on. There are times, however, when we as a nation make no or very little effort to make ourselves worthy of being redeemed. <coughs> and it's because of those times that we also refer to Hashem as Moshiach, our Savior, he just steps in and does the whole saving job. Ozer means I will make an effort. Moshia is kind of like I'm drowning. He saves us even when we are helpless and have not made an effort to deserving Geula. And Mogain, Hashem protects us. He shields us during the Gullus from the evil which our enemies plan to destroy us. And sometimes HaKadosh Baruch Hu protects us in very strange ways ways. Anti-Semitism is one example of this. And he explains a bit. You know, it's much more authoritative coming from someone who lived through this whole period of time. However, the concept of a Kaddish Baruch Hu as a magain, a shield, right, this apostle, Kishem magain elokim, extends much further. During the end of the Gullus, at the time of the coming of Mashiach, the so-called footsteps of Mashiach, our Chachamim tell us the conditions will exist that will make this the darkest epoch of the Gullus. 
the Gullus will never have been as dark as during the time immediately before the break of the dawn of Mashiach, which is possibly, well, not possibly, is as interestingly why the word shachar, morning, is the same letters as shachor, black. Because those are very, very, very close. Some of the Chachamim even dreaded this period to the extent that they wished, I hope Mashiach will come, but I don't want to see it. They knew it must be to have such a great salvation will have to follow such a great darkness that it was hard to contemplate ever witnessing it. Rav Simcha Wasserman said that this is how we can understand. I mean, talk about someone who lived through and, and the Holocaust. You know, his father went back to... His father went back to Europe because he said he can't leave his students without him. He was in America when the war really broke out. He was collecting for the yeshiva. Rav Simcha knew what it meant, the darkness of the final gallus. He said, when Mashiach comes, the Pesach says, I will turn your hearts of stone into hearts of flesh. He said, because what does it mean we have hearts? What do you mean we have hearts of stone? We have hearts of stone. If we could feel all the pain of what we live through, we wouldn't make it. That God has turned our hearts into hearts of stone as a favor to us. It's something we have to struggle against sometimes because we can so easily turn off other people's pain, not only our own, because how much can we stand? And that's a problem too, but it's a survival. It's a, a matter of survival. They didn't want to witness the Chilul Hashem and the spread of kefira, of denial of God, throughout the world, which the Chachamim predicted will exist during this time before the times of Mashiach. When you look and you see, now this might have been a startling sentence because we assume that he's talking about murder and slaughter and cruelty. So why did he suddenly, where do we, Chilul Hashem? Like, Chilul Hashem? Heresy? That's the problem? But... The flip side of knowing that God loves you very much is feeling that you love God in return. When you feel loved, you do naturally begin to love back. And to look and see the things that are done and to realize that in the cruelty in the world, what do people look and see? They see either, if these are the things that can be done in the world, if people can do things like this, then... One of two things, either God is very cruel or there isn't one. There is no God, there's no creator, there's nobody in charge. That's what people say. That is the power of a human being being at Salem Elohim. That's what it means that a human being literally shines the light of God's name into the world. When we behave in a way that is kind and loving and fair and thoughtful, separate from the fact, which is important, that people look and they realize you are a Jew. You are God's people. When any human being acts in this way, that is positive, what people take away in their emotional state is a sense that there is a God who is kind in the world and that there is a God in the world. And when people behave with cruelty and murder and anger and injustice and abuse, then people look and they say, is this God or is there none? That is Chilul Hashem.
And that is kfira. It's those two. That's what people see they can get from it. That is very painful. If you have a sense that you love God and you have a sense that you have a mission in life and you're here to help shine that light into the world. Thank you. You're here, shining light into our world. Good morning, shiny. Sunshine. Then what could be more painful than to see all the work of yourself and your ancestors, all the work of love for Hashem, all that Hashem does for us and shines for us, being hidden by that, by a mountain, by, by a fog, by it's worse than a fog, like a total eclipse of Chil Hashem and Kfira, to the point where there were Chachamim who said, Yesi, let him come, I want him to come. But let me not live to see it. It's not that they didn't wish to live to see the redemption. But, you know, redemption means you were redeemed from something. And a very, very great redemption suggests being redeemed from a very, very great darkness. We live in a world in which, okay, that was the end of my explanatory note. We live in a world in which there is a threat not only of our physical annihilation in Eretz Yisrael and throughout the world, but also our spiritual destruction. The description that our Chachamim have given for the time immediately before the coming of Mashiach, in which the world would be filled with the darkness of immorality and apostasy, seems to apply to our times. The disbelief that there is a God in the world started only a few hundred years ago and has developed to the extent that a large segment of the world's population, from the highest levels to the lowest, lacks moral values. People believe in nothing. Lays din lays dayan, that there's no moral law and no supreme judge. We talked about this with um, Asaf and Yaakov, I think. I think we maybe mentioned it here. I'm not actually certain. I know that I discussed it in the davening share on Tuesdays for Hanosein Le'ayif Koach, which is not something we talked about when we did Hanosein Le'ayif Koach and was very interesting. For the Jewish people to have survived in such a world is only due to the example shown to us by Avraham Havinu, who taught us that even if the whole world is against us on one side, we can successfully remain firm in our convictions alone on the other side. That's what it means to be a Jew. We're not accustomed to it in our generation but we need to realize that we're going to need to depend on that being a Jew means being able to say no I know something different and you know I mean we've all like read the sociological studies if enough people say that they think something is true it's a very small percentage of people who can stand hold and and believe in what they actually know to be true. Hey, we're not talking about some kind of blind faith. Right? I forget who did those studies. It's not it's not Goffman. It's uh these are very old. These are like from the sixties. I mean not very old, but like not like the new wave of cognitive behavioral psychology. Like we're talking about like the original sociological studies, right? Where you there's something that's clearly true, that everybody knows it, and you get like 50 college students and 
40 of them are told to assert that 2 plus 2 is 5, and they assert it over and over and over again. And first you see that other group of 10 who are the real study subjects. First they're confused. Many of them won't argue at all against the group, but eventually most of them will come to question their own sanity before they question the sanity of the group. They will assume that if 40 people are saying it's true, and, and they don't hear the others speak up, right? Because people are embarrassed to contradict the majority. Everyone is saying it's true. But it's not just that they don't speak up. They actually question their own sanity. They question their own knowledge. And they assume they must be wrong. I must have been wrong. And it is a very small percentage who will stand firm in that they're right. Let alone speak up if there's an injustice to be made. Right? If the crowd is going to do something harmful, let alone the people won't speak up about it. But not only that, they'll assume they're wrong. Being a Jew means being able to say, I'm right, even when everyone else says you're wrong. And they assert it, and it's scientific, and everybody knows that that's the way it is. And being able to say, yeah, but I know that this is right. So it's right, and I will tune that out. I don't have to question my own sanity and my own knowledge just because a lot of people are saying something different. After Hashem returned, after, sorry, after Avraham returned victorious from fighting with the four kings and he handed back to the king of Sodom his rule. Now that's interesting because that's where we got the Kone Hakol, right? right. <laughs> just reminding us, Kael Elyon, Kone Hakol. Okay, this is where we are still. Hashem said to him, Al Tira Avram, do not fear Avram, Anochi Magenlach, I am a shield for you. In other words, don't worry, you've just been exposed to Sodom. Sodom feels indebted to you. You're going to feel sort of partial to the people of Sodom. You've davened for them. Now you've gone out and you've saved, you're invested in these people, you're going to care about them. This is Sodom. These are really, really the dregs of society, right? Don't worry, I will shield you. In other words, Hashem is our shield from society. He will help protect us because we do have to interact with society. Our goal is not to hide. But then how do, how do we have the strength to stand up and be on the other side? All the world on one side, right? Avraham Ha'ivri. All the world on one side, and he's on the other side. Well, maybe we don't have quite enough backbone to stand ourselves, but God will be our shield. We'll have an exoskeleton added to the you know, endoskeleton, right? God will be a shield for us. He'll add to our strength. And when he brings our final redemption, maybe it will be because he has protected us physically as well as spiritually even from the Sodom around us, the Sodom of Apikorsos and Kfira and Chil Hashem and immorality. In this world, we need Melech Ozer Umoshia Umogin. And all that goes back to Avraham Avinu. All of that goes back to Avraham Avinu and his ability to not only see and understand and know God, but stand up and be separate to do it. 
And so Chazal said, Veheye bracha, Hashem promised Avram, we mentioned this, Veheye bracha, you shall be a bracha. Right? And the Gemara concludes, Bechachos, it wasn't mean you will be the bracha, with you will seal. Not with everyone, right? Well, the chasima of the bracha is Baruch Hashem Magain Avraham, not Magain Avraham, Magain Yitzchak, Magain Yaakov. It's just Magain Avraham, right? Hashem says that's the that's the chasima, that's the close. But I think it's also right. The chosam of Hashem is MS. This that comes back to that tough and is the zechusavos ending that we talked about with um, on the word MS at the end of Shema. It's the same Gemara that says is chosavos over is the same Gemara that says, what does it mean, ending? So we're going to talk about that. Oh, that's really coming in the Maharal, um, which we don't have time for today. You know what we do? I'm going to skip the... I'm going to skip a big chunk of it, and I'm just going to do kind of the, the this point. Okay. The end of something, the chasima of something... Okay, you seal with, seal with Avraham. The end of something is the fulfillment of it. The chasima, it's like a signature, right? In modern Hebrew, your chatima is your signature. Okay, a chotam is a stamp. It's, you put it on to, to seal that this is you who wrote it. It's the kiyum of it. It's the making it last and activating it. When Hashem Yisbarach keeps his word, that's called emes. It being me'ames, to make it true, that to make it actual. That which God promised, he's making, when, when, when you see that he did what he said he would do, right? So that's at the end. That's the seal of it. Emes is the seal of God. The seal of this chesed, the seal of the geula, is really down to Avraham. That's veheye bracha. You will be the bracha. You will be the seal. It's all coming down to that, that the emes, the truth that God promised to Avraham. Geri yezarecha be'eretz lolahem. Arba me'oshana, right? That they'll be strangers in a strange land. And I will redeem them. That's when you get right down to it. This is the seal, and this is the promise to him. Now, I I wanted to bring this statement even without going through the full maharal. He says we don't say. I, I I told you before already. His he explains about this point. Like the question that the Gemara is asking is not did the did the merit of the forefathers end? It's that was there a spe- special merit of the forefathers that was keeping the Beis Hamikdash going and keeping the Jewish people on the land. So I think that that's very relevant to this particular Ramban at the end of Beratius. Okay, that very, very last Ramban in Beratius, which we saw last year, which I looked for this year and then last week when I was in the wrong... I had a Shmos, not a Beratius, so it wasn't there. Okay, so the last Ramban in Beratius, where he says that the book of Beratius is the book of Yitzira the creation of the universe, the creation of everything formed within the universe, and the life events of the Avos that are the creation of their children. I mean, it creates their children after them and their, and their lives and their historical path afterward because everything that happened to the forefathers was a forms the outline pattern 
and hints of what is going to happen in the future. After all of this, you have the next book, which is the actualization of that which was hinted to in Boratius. So all of, hu all of human history that was hinted to in Boratius now is going to start playing out as first as Jewish history in Shemos. And that's Shemos. And he says now Shemos continues, it, it takes us from going into Mitzrayim to coming out of Mitzrayim, but it doesn't end with coming out of Mitzrayim. Ad Yom Shuvam, it only ends when you get to the day when they have returned El Mekomam to their real place. Now, stop a second and say, what? I mean, I get that, that concept, right? It's not enough to be, what, how did you put it? It's not enough to be taken out of jail if you're not back home yet right. or something like that, right? Like, you, know, you set the hostage free, but he's still in Iran or he's still in Russia, right? Like, <laughs> you got to get him home to say that he's really been redeemed. But Shuvam el Makomam, they're still in the desert at the end of Shemos. I mean, Shemos doesn't take us all the way to Israel. Well, <laughs> it could have, <laughs> theoretically, right? But he says, Ad Yom Shuvam el Makomam, until the day they came back to their rightful place, the El Ma'ala Savosam Yashuvu, and to the level of their forefathers, they have returned. It did? What, what is he saying? I mean, I get the concept that they have to get back home, but they did? They got home? He's saying that that's what happens in Shmos. When they came out of Egypt, even when they came out of the land of Egypt, they were still considered in exile because they were in a land that didn't belong to them and they were wandering in a wilderness. And when they came to Harsinai, and then they made the Mishkan, and God's presence came, and the Shekhinah rested in their midst, now they were back in their place. Now they were at the place their forefathers had reached. God is in their tents. Like in the tent of sorrow. Like in the, exactly, yeah. Okay. There is a Zechus Avos that was achieved somehow here, a reliving of the forefathers that wasn't so quick to be undone. The resting of God's Shekhinah in the midst of the people in that Beis HaMikdash, in that Mishkan. You understand why I brought the Ramban? Because it's helping us to understand why Zechus Avos would be specifically tied to the, the existence or destruction of the Beis HaMikdash. Okay. Now, so he says that the explanation of this question of does Chus Avos continue or not is only with respect to this topic, this question of can the Jews be ejected from the land or not? Can the temple be destroyed or not? He says this is very simply the meaning. Because we cannot, God forbid, say that there is a principle that there could be an end to the merit of the forefathers. And obviously, certainly, through tefillah, it is obvious that there is no end to the merit of our forefathers. Shahari called Filasenu, he lahaz kirzachusavos. 
In every prayer, we mention the merit of our forefathers. It is through the prayer itself that it does not end. Whoa. <laughs> okay. Now, I can't say that I understand really what this Maharal is saying. Maharal requires a kind of knowledge to begin to understand that I don't have. But a couple of things here. First of all, it's not an accident that it's through tefillah that we see that Zchosovos continues. Because Unashalma Parim Sifasenu, our prayers are in the place of the Avoda of the Beis Amikdash. Ah. Wow. How do you know that there's still Zchosovos? Because we can still daven. There may not be a Beis Amikdash, and there may not be a Mishkan, and we may not be in the land of Israel. But by golly, we can daven. That's proof by itself that there hasn't been an end to Zuchusavos. Okay, he's saying that's why the question is limited to that specific question about the land. Okay, that's number one. Number two, that in our Tfilos itself, we're constantly mentioning Zochei Chasteyavos, Zochei Chasteyavos, three times a day, Zochei Chasteyavos. So it's, it's clear that Chazal that the Chazal of the Gemara, who, you know, are still davening three times a day, even in those days, right, are not questioning, is there such a concept of still evoking Zuchuzavos, because we mention it, Zochei Chasteyavos, Zochei Chasteyavos. I think it's also true, and I, the Maharal does not say this, at least not here that I saw, but the Tfilos were instituted by the Avos. Avraham instituted Shachris, Yitzchak instituted Mincha, and Yaakov instituted Mairav. Okay, there's a, the Tefilos are evoking the Avos. Every time we stand up and Davin Sharon Esrei, and we evoke our Avos, and we remind Hashem that there's a Chesed of the Avos, there's the actual fact that we are doing the Davening is evoking that as well. We are rekindling that Zechus Avos through the action of emulating our forefathers by davening to him at these times. We are, we are both evoking it in terms of memory and evoking it in terms of expressing it and doing it and actually continuing the merit that they had by continuing their actions and continuing their lesson. We are continuing it. I heard a very interesting description that I think is also relevant to this. Um, oh, let me just say one more point here. So the Maharal says, Aval bevadai, it is absolutely certain. Hakadosh Baruchu Zocher Zechus Avos. Hashem remembers the merit of our forefathers, Lorachim, to do, to have mercy, Vilasos Chesed, and to do kindness with us. The only Discussion in the Gemara is the question of what happened to the Beis HaMikdash. He says, it, the question is, is the Zechus Avos, did it somehow get stopped for the Chorban? Because surely and certainly through Hanina, through pleading and begging of God, we are able to mention Zuchus Avos and it is existing. <coughs> I heard a very interesting thing. 
Um, we, we saw a hint of this, and it was really more than a hint, but maybe I didn't understand it as more than a hint at the time, in Rav Hirsch's commentary to um, what happens, Hashem brings all the animals to Adam to name. He names them all, and he does not find a partner for himself, right? And then he falls asleep, and Hashem separates Chava, and then they have this whole incident <laughs> with the snake and the tree, and there are all these consequences, and she's, he's going to have to work hard to get bread, and she's going to have to work hard to bear and raise children. And all of a sudden, Adam sort of looks at Chava and says, I'm going to call you Chava, because you are the mother of all life. Which is a funny place to suddenly have this insight, right? And Rav Hirsch brings beautifully over there. He says, at the very moment that Adam is told that you will no longer physically live forever, he also hears that his wife is going to have children with difficulty. And he realizes that although Hashem has said, look, the day you sin, most tamus, you'll die, and he's going to die, he will no longer live forever, at the very same time, God handed him physical immortality. He gave him a wife to have children and his soul, little bit of him, will be born into each of those children. Small branches off of his single soul will be born into each child that comes into the world. And though any one piece of himself may not survive forever in the physical world, he will continue living on and on and on and on. And this is part of the concept of Zechus Avos. When Hashem is fulfilling his promise to the forefathers through their children, through their descendants, through the Jewish community that are the descendants of the forefathers, Hashem is quite literally fulfilling his promise to them. It's not just he's fulfilling the promise that he promised to do for the children. God is fulfilling the promises to the Avos through the children because we are a continuing rebirth of them, just little teeny pieces. So the fact that we stand up and keep davening is proof that the Zuchus of the Avos has not ended. The fact that we continue to exist is proof that the Zuchus Avos is still here loud and strong, just in a lot of little teeny, 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 teeny pieces, because we're teeny, 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 teeny people. Okay. Mishaper, we'll, we'll close with this, so that we've finished this section from Maharal, and then we'll have to go backwards again. Betorah uvgmilos chasadim. We may not have a Beis HaMikdash, we may not have karbanos, but yadua, it is well known, ki hagmilos chasadim, that acts of kindness, yoser mechaprim min karbanos, give a greater kapara than even bringing a korban. Now, I don't know how well known that was to you, but it seems like good thing to know. Ki gmilos chasadim hu min karbanos. Doing chesed is higher than doing, uh, bringing a korban. So we may be missing a Beis HaMikdash, but through learning Torah 
and through doing acts of chesed, right? Torah, avoda, and gemilus chasadim. You've heard of those, right? Mechaper. We can have kapara. Okay? Because we can stick to both sides of it, even if we're missing that in the middle. Gomel chasadim tovim vekone hakol vezocher chaste avos. It's all about the chesed. And Hashem is doing chesed for us. And we need to try and think, and that this will be sort of what we talk about more next time. What could have been the chaste avos? What could have been the chesed of the avos? And is there something we can learn from that or apply ourselves in order to be able to, to still keep this all rolling? <laughs> The tefillah, the kapara, the karbanos, all of this. Can we, can we keep it going somehow through this very long and dark alas?